Well, good morning. It's good to see that you're here on Christmas Eve Eve and not at the mall. Some of you might be going to the mall after church. Uh, <laughs> I'm going home at some point today and I have to wrap presents, which means I need to get them out of my trunk and into my house without my wife seeing them. But, you know, every so often... Uh, <laughs> I have these experiences uh, that remind me of what my life was like uh, before I really, truly ever knew Christ. And maybe you're like me, and that's kind of an ambiguous thing to say because you grew up in church, uh, you kind of always knew about Jesus, he's been around, um, and that, that's how I was for, for a long, long part of my life. I, I knew Jesus. I, I had the, the faith of a child, and I thought that I was doing it right because uh, Jesus said, have childlike faith. But what I didn't realize was he wasn't talking about the kind of faith that I had. I had this immature understanding of what this Christian thing was really all about. And, and a long time, for a long, long time, I didn't really understand the difference between living my life with Christ and living my life for Christ. Now, with and for are two really small words. But the difference between them when we talk about the role that Jesus plays in our lives is unmistakable. You see, if we're living our life with Christ, we have a relationship with him. And I mean, it's fine. Jesus is there with us when we want him to be. When things get really tough, we might pray. When we're with our Christian friends, we're like, yeah, we got something in common because like, I, know, I know about Jesus too. But then we also have this ability to just blend back into the rest of the world unnoticed. You see, Jesus is our friend, but we can be really terrible friends, right? You know these, these people, they, they only call you when they need something. They only invite you along when they think that you're going to fit in with the people that they're going to spend time with. They never call when they think that you might nag them about the terrible decisions they're planning on making. And this, when we have this kind of relationship with Christ, it's, it's comfortable. We have a nice, comfy relationship with Jesus, and it's comfortable because we dictate the terms. We're in charge, and we get what we want. But something is missing. And until we figure out what it is, we really aren't living out the life that God intends, that God calls us to live. But if we are living our lives for Christ, everything is different. See, if living life with Christ means that he's our friend, living our lives for Christ means that he's not only our friend, but he is so much more. Living for Christ means that he is the Lord of our lives. He directs our paths. He is our hope. 
rather than the hope that we have in our jobs and our families and our marriages and our money. It's Christ only. We can't leave him at home or only call when it's convenient. But we don't like this sometimes because we can't have everything our way. We can't have the appearance of Christianity one day and then blend into the world unnoticed the next. See, living for Christ means that we are different and the world recognizes it. But we're also different in a way that, that we can recognize as well. If we, if we look deep down inside of us and we're honest with ourselves, we can see the difference between living with Christ and living for Christ. So back to these experiences that I'm talking about. Um, every, every now and then I have a conversation with someone or I, I watch something on TV or like I'm stalking someone's Facebook and uh, there's this theme that goes on and it, it sounds a lot like this. My life is over, right? My life is over because my relationship has come to an end. I lost my job and now my life is over. Or the late high school melodramatics of, I didn't get into the college that I want to go to, and now my life is over. And we're all old sitting here like, no, man, it, like, it's just begun. Over. Come on. You're about to live the, the life, right? And the, the feeling that underlies all of this is despair and darkness, And sometimes what's really sad is when we know that these people are Christians. But then there's those exact opposite experiences. I meet these people whose world is literally collapsing around them. Everything that could possibly be going wrong is going wrong, and yet there they are. Truly having faith that something bigger and greater than them is going on. They have a smile, and you can tell that they're not just faking it. There's an atmosphere of light surrounding them, even when the circumstances in their lives don't make, seem to make hope, peace, joy, or love even possible. But there they are, embodying these very things. These are, these are four people. But don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that when things go wrong, if you get a little upset, you get a little angry, that you're not doing the Jesus thing right. I mean, we've, we've got human vessels. We've got human emotions. God gave these things to us. And what, what I'm really saying is that if you let the darkness overcome you, you may have to take a look at that. Do you let the darkness overcome you? Or is Jesus the Lord of your life regardless of your circumstances? Do you cling to and believe deep down in the core of your heart and soul what Jesus said in John eight twelve? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, this is what Christians and the church need to really believe so deeply. 
that Jesus is the light. If you haven't picked up on that in the past uh, like three or four weeks of sermons, the light thing that we're talking about, like, it's Jesus. <laughs> Secret. You're going to find that out tomorrow, but I already told you. <laughs> But when Jesus, the light, is our Lord, he gives us the ability to walk in the light of his hope, his peace, his joy, and his love, regardless of what the world is doing around us or to us. (laughs) The Bible is filled with people that have just been living in awful circumstances, and Paul was like one of these people. He was the living embodiment of walking in the light, even when everything around him was dark. He was persecuted, run out of every single town that he went to, arrested, shipwrecked, and eventually put in jail. But he kept writing. He kept writing to other Christians, encouraging them to be as joyful and hopeful as he was. And while he's sitting in a Roman jail, he writes, he writes a letter to the, the Ephesian churches, and he, he gives them a, a basic roadmap of how to live for Christ, how to walk in the light. And when we talk about the book of Ephesians, we need to kind of remember that Ephesians is, is a little bit different than any other book that, that Paul wrote. Uh, and it, it's, it's different because Ephesus was a different kind of place. It wasn't plagued by all of the typical Greek and Roman uh, moral problems. Um, so, so Ephesians really gives Paul a chance to, to dig in deeper and, and tell these people how to mature in their Christian faith, since he doesn't have to constantly rebuke heresies and just crazy moral things that, that they're doing. And it's, it's really my favorite book. And if you said to me, like, hey, Tim, uh, if you could do anything right now or at some point in your life, what would it be? I would tell you I would be in Turkey at the site of ancient Ephesus, digging in the dirt, trying to find something that tells me and you more about what Paul was really saying to us. But nonetheless, even though they were a pretty good church, they were still people. And people, as we know have this uncanny way of doing the wrong thing, right? They have a way of living for the world and all of the promises that it makes to us. So in in chapter 5, he starts out the first seven verses, and he says, hey, all of this stuff, covetousness, sexual immorality, greed, these are all forms of idolatry, and they're, they're darkness, Don't let people influence you into thinking that these things are good for you. He reminds me of my mom growing up. And maybe your parents were like this or you are this kind of parent. But I remember this interaction with my mom where she said to me, you're not allowed to play with Eddie anymore because Eddie is a bad boy. I remember her one day walking out the, the back door of our house through our backyard past the gate, across the alley, and knocking on Eddie's door and telling his parents what Eddie had just done outside of our house. What he had done is there was these things called Super Soaker 2000s. Everyone had to have one. Well, Eddie filled his up with motor oil and sprayed it on people. So Eddie was 
Eddie wasn't allowed around our house anymore. She came back and she said, you're, you're not hanging out with Eddie. And then that theme continued for like most of my life. And the reason for that was my mom, she, she knows me. She knew that her son was a follower. And that if her son was hanging out with people who were doing bad things, then her son was going to be doing bad things. And I thanked her and proved her right by proving her right for the next 20 years or so, you know? So uh, Paul knows these people. He's like, I've spent time with you. I know you. I know what you are like. God knows the human heart, and he knows these people. And so finally, uh, they write this letter to us in Ephesians saying, hey, stay away from all of this junk. It's darkness. It's bad for you. It's going to get you into trouble. And then he goes on to say this in verses 8 through 11. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the, the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Paul says, hey, don't just not do all these things because they're bad for you and they'll get you into trouble. He says, don't do these things because these things are who you used to be. But now you're children of light because and only because the light of Christ has come into your lives. And now you are called to walk in the fruit of righteousness. You're called to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. You are called to live your life for Christ. Well, it's easy to say, but, you know, it's a little harder to practice on a daily basis, you know. And the Apostle John kind of says this same sort of thing uh, in his first letter to us. And he writes, uh, this is the message we have heard from him that we declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. We do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. These are tough words. It's like, hey, if you say that you're a Christian, but you still sin, then you're a liar. But if you say that you don't sin, you're a liar. What? Cool, right? <laughs> but there, there is grace in here, right? He says, he says, if you say you are in the light, but you still walk in the darkness of the world, then you're lying to yourself. But if you say you don't sin, then you're lying to yourself too. So which is it, John? 
The answer is that in our, in our daily walk, you know, like we're human, we are going to sin no matter how Christian we are. It's impossible to avoid. But Christ's gift brings us righteousness. Christ's gift makes us not liars. In a situation where it seems like no matter what, we're liars, right? And the key to this verse to this is in verse 9. He says, if we confess our sins. So maybe the best way to wrap our heads around this is to just look at some of the people that we know in our lives. You know these people who have something that is seriously messing up their life. And the last person that it's obvious to is them. But finally, they have like a revelation, a moment of clarity, and they come and they say, hey, um, this thing that I do, it's really, really not working out, and um, I've got good news for you. I, I'm going to change. I'm going to stop getting into bad relationships, or I'm going to stop doing drugs, or I'm going to stop spending more money than I make. You know these people, but nothing really changes, and maybe for a short while, things get better, but eventually, the same behavior takes over again, even though they keep saying, no, it's, it's fine, I've changed. Eventually, we can't help but realize and hopefully have the guts to sit them down and say, hey, friend, I love you, but you are lying to yourself again. And that's what, that's what our friends Paul and John are trying to do here. They're sitting us down and saying, hey, guys, ladies, gentlemen, we love you. God loves you. But you're delusional. It's like a first century episode of Intervention. If you've seen the show, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen the show, you don't have to really use your imagination much to figure out what it's really all about. But... In, in every single episode, and hopefully any good intervention that happens uh, off of TV, there's really two main components. There's the confrontation. You know, the family gets together and says, hey, you're messing up and it is negatively affecting me in the following ways. But most of all, it's messing you up. You're lying to yourself. But we're here to give you a way out. On the show, it's to go to rehab. For us, it's, it's more like this. Hey, guys, you're messing up. You think you're doing good, but you're really not doing as good as you think you are. You're kind of lying to yourself in this area of your life. But there's a way out. Confess your sins and then go and do something different. And so Paul goes on uh, through verse 11, he says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. And this is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We are to expose the darkness. 
Some of you might be sitting there and thinking that I'm going a certain way with this sermon, a certain direction, and some of you are like, please, come on, please don't, don't go there. And then others of you are like, yes, please, you need to go here. You know what I'm talking about because some of you are already sitting there. You're like, I love to expose the darkness, and I have got a mental inventory of all the people that I'm going to see on Monday and Tuesday. And let me tell you what, I have some things that I need to say to each and every one of them about their life. And if this guy tells me I can do it, it's in church, and I am allowed. God told me to do it. But maybe you're also those same people that when it comes to looking on the inside, you're not so keen on the idea. Then there are those people that don't want me to say this because they're quite content to sit and only look on the inside while the people around them descend and live in darkness. The good news is, no matter which kind of person you are, you're wrong. And Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 3 through 5. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What Jesus is saying is, hey, before you go around exposing the deeds of everyone around you, make sure that you first take a look on the inside. Make sure that your soul is good. Make sure that you've dealt with the sins in your own life. Make sure that you aren't, in fact, lying to yourself. Make sure that you are living for Christ and not just with Christ. You see, this process of exposing the darkness that that Paul is talking about is really meant to first be an inside job. We can't shine the light on the darkness if we aren't ourselves carrying the light. It's like if I walk into a pitch black room with a lamp with a bunch of people in it walking around in order to help them out, but I just bring the light in and don't plug it in, then they still can't see. In fact, I've added another obstruction for them to stumble over as they fumble around looking for a way out. See, if we're going to shine the light of Christ into the lives of those who are living in darkness, into the darkness of this world, we had better be darn sure that we aren't just carrying into the situation our pride and our self-righteousness. If we're going to shine the light of Christ, we need to make sure that we aren't just carrying our own pride and self-righteousness. We need to ask ourselves, hey, what are my motives? Because if my motives in this are anything other than love and a deep desire for this friend, loved one, or complete stranger to know the redeeming power of Jesus Christ, then we have got some inside work to do first. But with that being said, there's there's also danger in just letting the world burn around us while we sit 
and contemplate the status of our own souls. See, I, I'm naturally kind of inclined to this way of thinking. I'm non-confrontational, kind of a middle-of-the-road kind of guy. I don't want to offend people unless it's unavoidable. So if you're, if you're like me, if you're with me, we make sure that we can always avoid being confrontational by maybe not always telling the whole truth. But this doesn't really help to advance the gospel. See, we're, we're light a lamp and put it under a basket, people. Where this little light of mine, I'm going to hold it really close with my hand around it so that the wind doesn't blow it out type of people, right? But this is, this is not what we're called to be. You know, in the, in the years leading up to World War II, there was a really nice and safe, non-offensive, non-confrontational idea floating around in the world when Adolf Hitler was on his rise to power, starting to make military advances. It was called appeasement, and unfortunately, poor Neville Chamberlain, this is the only thing that he'll ever be remembered for. There's a lot more complexity to this, and there's just way more than I could do, say, to give it justice or completely give it a fair analysis. But let's just remember that this was a policy that had great intentions. Let's just allow Germany to regain some of its honor, since, you know, we completely humiliated them and crippled their economy after World War I. But I don't think there's anyone alive today that would sit back, look back on the policy of appeasement and say, hey, that really worked out good for us. The time to do what was right by Germany was a long over by the time the Third Reich took power. And not recognizing their aggression and the evil ideas that were being spewed by the Nazi party led to the most horrific war and outpouring of evil on human beings that the world has ever known or seen. And all that it took was good men, good women, doing nothing. This allowed evil ideas and evil actions to spread without recourse. And I know that this is a a really strong illustration, but I think that we need to be reminded that evil exists in the darkness. And if all that we do is shine our little lights in our homes and in our churches, then we've already begun to become irrelevant. See, the light of Christ is meant to overcome all of the darkness, not just the darkness in our hearts and the darkness in the church, but the darkness of the world. And he has called us, specifically the church, to carry the light into the world that is filled with injustice, oppression, pain, and suffering. We're to carry that light out and shine that light into the darkness in which they inhabit See, when we expose the darkness, either in the world or in our own hearts, those things that are hidden, those things that are secret, that are shameful and taboo to talk about, they begin to lose their power. It's like mold. It it thrives in dark, damp places. When you shine some light on it, 
expose it to the light and keep it there, that mold begins to die. And it's the same with, with the human heart. Our dark deeds, our, our sins that no one likes to talk about, hold no power over us once they are no longer secrets, once they are exposed. When they are confessed to God and to a friend or a loved one who we can trust, who will hold us accountable, these things lose their power. We awake. We awake from the dead, just like this dark, dead condition of our heart has been cured. Christ's light has been shown into it, and we become alive. Paul wraps this whole section up with, with one verse. In verse 15, he says, Therefore, therefore, because of all that I've just told you, all the things that I've told you to stay away from, and all the things that I've told you to, to try and emulate, therefore, be careful how you walk. Walk as wise. Therefore, because of all of that, this is important, that you walk this way. Wise in this sense, meaning one whose actions are governed by holiness and integrity. Or in Christian words, one who's imitating Christ. One whose life is transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. One whose life is surrendered to the Spirit's leading rather than to the deception of the darkness. You see, we're able to walk this way only because of Christ. Because Jesus' light has shone into the darkness of our hearts. It's exposed what chains us to our misery and finally gives us the choice to do something different and walk in the light. You see, when we, when we walk governed by holiness and integrity, when we walk imitating Christ, we walk for Christ. And our lives are lived for Christ, with Christ as our Lord. He's our master, our one truth in a world that claims that truth does not even exist. When our hope is in him only, and our peace is found in the comfort of his embrace, we have a wellspring of joy that cannot be overcome by the darkness of this world. See, instead, it shines out of us, and in love, we can embrace a broken and hurting world and live out our life to call and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. You know, tomorrow night, all across the world, and especially right here, we'll celebrate the coming of the light. We'll turn down the lights in our worship spaces, and we'll hold up glow sticks and candles. And we'll light up the darkness. And then at the 11 o'clock service, we'll, we'll carry that light out of the church into Pioneer Park or into the world. It's a great symbol of what we are meant and called to do. But here's the question. On Tuesday, will we remember that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is all the things that the readings that we do say, that the carols we sing say, that, that 
He is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the Savior of the world. Will we truly remember that in our hearts and then live our lives for him? Like he is our Lord. Like he is the one who has given us light so that we no longer have to live and walk in darkness. But now we can walk in the light. Will your light shine so brightly that it lights up the dark places, that it exposes the evil in the world? Will your light allow those who are lost to see and know the redeeming light and love of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's pray. God, we love you. We just thank you for uh, sending us the light that's sending us your son, Jesus. And as we remember his birth and coming into this world over the next couple of days, Lord, work on our hearts. Instill in us a, a deep longing for the world to know you. Lead us to walk in a way that lights up the, the dark places in our world. Change us. Mold us into what you want us to be. And then send us out into the world. Lord, we thank you for your spirit's leading and for your son's salvation in our hearts. And it's through these things that we pray to you. Amen.